Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hello everyone, Tara Williams here with the Mom Manual. I have a very special guest for you guys today. This is something I did not even know existed. Molly Vassa Bertolucci is a licensed clinical social worker and a perinatal mental health therapist. Did not even know that was a thing. She's a mother of two and the founder of Poppy Therapy in Long Beach, California, which is now very close to my home in Newport. And she supports new moms and moms who want to find meaning and courage in the big transitions, emotions, and decisions that come with being a parent. Molly, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tara. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you are here. Of all, I have four kids, one just turned 11, and I've never heard of this specialized field. I'd love you to tell our listeners just about what you're doing, how you got into it, little background on yourself. Yeah, totally. I started Poppy Therapy to focus on working exclusively with moms in postpartum and early parenting, and 86% of women become mothers these days. And one in seven new moms experience depression or anxiety during pregnancy or postpartum. So that's a massive number of women needing support. And honestly, these numbers really aren't surprising. I think with the lack of paid leave in the U.S., an ongoing childcare crisis, and household and family responsibilities falling more on mothers now in 2023 than even at the height of the pandemic. So mental health concerns beat out finances, children's health, and marriage now as mom's biggest worry. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's just a ton of support needed for this, this population. So you said 87% of women become a mother. So that's a vast majority of women are having kids. That's good. And what percent have a mental health struggle? So it's one in seven. Uh, And that number actually can be from one to five to one to seven, depending on the study, depending on how long the studies follow the moms. Right. So with perinatal mental health technically is from pregnancy through the first year of postpartum, but as studies follow moms longer, the numbers go up either because there's other stressors going on or because there's depression and anxiety that never got treated. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it can linger a lot longer than just that first year. You know, it's really interesting for me. Like, I mean, I felt a little bit of what I would say the baby blues, but not anything more than that. But where I have started to become super stressed out is that my kids are all very close in age, but as they're older, because I'm so overwhelmed with like the sports and the activities and they have friends and I have four children. So one person has a friend over and then they all want to have a friend over. And then it's like competition for my time. And like you said, I mean, I, as much as I, I, I run my own business, um, but I'm the one making the dentist appointments and the doctor's appointments and sending the forms for back to school and buying the back to school clothes and the backpacks. And, you know, I actually just, this will make everybody laugh and hopefully make them feel better about their marriage. We just moved to a new area. So I had to find all these new, you know, all the things, right. Dentist, doctor, orthodontist. And I sent calendar invites to my husband. So it could be honest calendar, like, Hey, we're probably going to have to tag team this. 
he declined all the calendar invites. <laughs> so one day I got like seven declines and I said, rejected. Why did you decline those? And he was like, well, I don't need it on my calendar because you're going to take them, right? I was like, oh my goodness. Like, why do you think I sent it to you? And he was like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, I sent it to you because I want you to be aware in case I'm booked or something like that. So that's just a funny, funny sidebar. But getting back to the perinatal time, so pregnancy to year one, how did you get into this? You said it was an additional credential, right? Yeah. So my own experience in postpartum really ignited my passion to to work with new moms. I experienced postpartum anxiety after a traumatic birth, and I was just super blindsided by this experience. The transition was so much more difficult than I ever knew it could be. Um, and so and that really was became, your first or your second it was my first. Okay. And so that's what really ignited this interest. And I had been, I was already a therapist had been well-established in my career as a trauma therapist. And yet, like, I still didn't have this information about how impacted your mental health can be by this huge, huge life transition, right. And all that comes with it. So it's such a like raw disorienting, isolating time in like life altering in every way. So what years were your babies born? Yeah. 2020. So that was a, you know, that was a big one, (laughs) lots going on. Um, and then my youngest just turned one in June. Okay. So 2022, so my one-year-old, my sister has similar age babies to you and her son was born in January and the pandemic came in March. And so, you know, she's, she was a little bit younger. And so a lot of her friends, like her friends she had known from high school and college, like didn't have babies yet. So she really was in the stage where she's like, okay, I'm living in the city. Like she's in Boston and I'm going to meet all these moms that have these babies, the same age as me. And then like, bam, the you know, the pandemic hit. So they had done virtual meetups, but it was just like, I want to like see people and really kind of be in community with people who are not friends that I I've known my whole life, but don't have babies or even me. Like I would love to, I gave her advice and stuff, but my youngest at the time was, and he was in 2020, he was well over two. So it wasn't like, you know, I was just in a different stage where I'm like, I don't even remember what they, what I fed him, you know, at three months old. Like, I don't know. You, you don't remember. But I think that time frame in particular was like incredibly stressful to have a new baby, especially with the unknown of the, we were in a health crisis, right? So like, is my baby going to get sick? Could they die? Should they get a vaccine? Do you feel like that was like a tipping point of this mental health, like almost explosion, I would say? Totally. For a few reasons. I don't think anyone got through the pandemic and the shutdowns and the isolation of that time without being introduced to their mental health. Like it just, we were just face to face with it. (laughs) And there was just a, a real feeling of heightened anxiety around health and around gathering. And so the social isolation that went with that for sure. And I did see this kind of wave of second time moms coming in with their you know, they had their first baby, like my cohort really, who had their first babies during the pandemic and were rocked by that. And then coming in when they were pregnant, being like, I want to be prepared this time, or I, I know that I'm going to need support this time around. I don't want to feel like that again. So I feel like it kind of brought a lot of stuff to the surface and brought this opportunity to really talk about mental health, Yeah, but for moms too. 
all I could think was during the entire pandemic, I, I like to listen to podcasts and every single podcast I was listening to was talking about what was what is it? Better health. They were like the online counseling ones. Every yeah. I'm like, they must have alone spent a hundred million dollars on podcast ads because it was it was anything I was listening to, things you wouldn't even expect something to be on there. I'm like, this isn't this is like a funny podcast, and they're talking about this. I mean, I think with the pandemic came obviously challenges, but there were some good parts like shining a light on this. You have your own practice. So what are you seeing, Molly, typically when people come to you? Is there a principal concern or is it just a general well-being? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So my practice focuses on birth trauma and postpartum anxiety, as well as just motherhood mental health. So really focusing on healing from birth trauma. I do EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting way to process trauma through the central nervous system. So a lot of moms, if you come in and you, it's really, really difficult to talk about your trauma or talk about your experience, that's a way to process it that you don't have to go into detail about it. Love EMDR. It's really a cool way to support all kinds of exposure to trauma. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. EMDR, I have not heard of that and I'm not totally following what it is. Is it physical movement or what, what does that mean? Yeah. So what it is, is bilateral stimulation. And so in session that a trained EMDR therapist will help you process the trauma through bilateral stimulation. That could be like movement of fingers or listening to sounds or tapping. So it's any like opposite movement and it just taps into your brain's ability to process and naturally recover from stress. So sometimes traumatic memories, traumatic experiences kind of get stuck in your brain and not naturally processed. And those unprocessed memories can really impact our beliefs about ourselves in the world, create like a negative lens. And so that feeling of like, you know, that flight, fight, freeze response, that stress response can be very active for people who don't have their trauma processed. And Um, when you say trauma processed, are people almost like suppressing it? So it's not on their conscious, but it's like right below the surface where it's almost like you could reach back and like grab the memory, but it's not ever present all the time but it's impacting how you feel. Yeah. So for a lot of people who have trauma that's impacting their daily life, it feels very present. We say the past is very present. Mm -hmm. And so it could be like for birth trauma, it's like a lot of triggers. So maybe it's like every time you drive by the hospital or every time you have to go to a medical appointment, like all this stuff is flooding back and your nervous system and your body is reacting like that's still happening to you. Uh, So you can imagine that's a very dysregulating while you're also trying to care for yourself and a new baby. Right. When you use the word trauma, I'm imagining physical trauma, right? So you maybe had to have an unexpected C-section that you didn't want, or you, I mean, another one I can think about is people who try to get a epidural and either it doesn't take or it doesn't work or I mean, I had trauma in the sense, and and I'm and I'm not. I don't want to say this is a true trauma, but it was traumatic. Where they kept putting the needle into my hand, like over and over and over, and they were training somebody. Finally, my husband was like, "Stop doing that," you know. And again, like that trauma is is small, and it, but it was the only real trauma I had. And I was like, "Oh, that's," and I'm like so afraid of needles, and you know, I think that like contributed to it. So. 
Is there other like trauma, emotional trauma, or is it all really physical that we're talking about? Yeah, it can be both. So the basis for trauma is not what happened to you. It's how you feel about it. Hmm. How you feel during and after the birth, during and after any stressful event, it can affect your response for weeks and months, right? How you experience it. So your experience with the needles. Yeah. However you feel about it, if you're feeling, if you feel vulnerable, afraid, confused, unheard, abandoned, all these like really powerful negative feelings and that lingers for you and you're avoiding needles and that's traumatic, right? With a big trauma, those symptoms start to hang around and impact your daily life, right? It's so interesting when you said like how you feel about the trauma, like you as a person, because, you know, you could be in a scenario where you have a nurse who's what you perceive as being like super cruel. And maybe she's there just thinking she's doing her job. Right. So I think that's a, like for anybody who's listening to this, I mean, I downplayed the needle thing and it's more because I know other people have larger or greater traumas. And I don't, I, it's like, Oh, I can't even say I had a trauma. It was just a needle in my hand. But if I felt like that was the biggest crisis of my life, then that would be the biggest trauma to me, even if it wasn't to other people. I think it's important that we don't almost like rate our our traumas against other people's traumas and then not move forward in healing it because we're like, well, someone else has it worse, right? And I think as women, we're always like trying to be strong and brave and like just not ruffling the feathers, I guess, or like making waves in the water, like trying to just say like, everything's fine. Like as women, I feel like we do that for anyone who's listening, Molly, do you have kind of advice if they're just feeling like maybe this was a trauma, like maybe I should go see somebody. I'm not really sure I'm feeling a certain way, but I don't know. Like what is kind of, it's like, okay, now you need to come in. Like, are there like signs or like any kind of prompts? I always say you do not need to fit into a diagnosis in order to benefit from help. So even if if you're not sure, if you're not feeling like yourself, reach out for support. But some of the things that you can look out for, for signs and symptoms for trauma impacting you would be having a hard time thinking clearly. If you're unable to regulate your emotions, this might show up as being really irritable, having a lot of rage that's uncharacteristic of you. You might feel a lot of fear and hypervigilance. This is a big one for trauma, always being on edge, Mm -hmm. feeling like something bad is going to happen. And you're just feeling very raw and scared, always being on the lookout for danger, right? So any of them, I'm like, that's like my daily life though, (laughs) on, on edge and raging against my kids. No, it's, it's, it's not. And, and I think it's, you know, you go through these different times in life and, I think everyone who listens knows I, I'm the founder and CEO of Dreamland Baby, and that's a, it's a big responsibility. And so when there's things going on at work, like external things that I can't control, I definitely, it's not, I don't have a job that I'm like, okay, it's five o'clock. I'm off the clock. I'm going to go like, I am constantly thinking about it. My team always jokes. I need to go to more yoga because I always think of new products while I'm there. But (laughs) I think it's like when different things happen for me and my business, then my mood is like affected by that. So if there's something super stressful and it's usually like something that's out of my control, that's when I get like that. But I mean, what I, I would say like, as most women probably feel on edge, right. And feel rage sometimes, but like, is there, even if you feel a little bit of this, you're like, make an appointment. It's great. Or is it like, no, like, it's for a duration of time or like an intense feeling or like, what do you, what do you think on that? The hallmark for trauma for 
post-traumatic stress or a acute stress disorder is that you're re-experiencing it. So this might look like having nightmares or thinking about what happened over and over again, or mm-hmm. avoiding what thinking about what happened, um, yeah. avoiding triggers like driving by the hospital or thinking about your birth or talking about your birth. If talking about your birth experience is really difficult, that might yeah. be a good indicator that it was traumatic. And, mm-hmm. you know, you said that backing up a little bit, sometimes women don't recognize their birth experiences as traumatic until much later. Yeah. And I think the most recent stat I'd heard is one third of women report trauma during or after their birth birth experience. And that can look like so many different things. You talked about the physical pain, but also like a lot lack or loss of control, a really difficult delivery or feeling really scared for Mm -hmm. baby safety or your safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't have to seem traumatic to be traumatic. Going back to how you feel about it is what is what matters. And I think this is really anyone whose child ends up in the NICU or they're born with like um, an unexpected complication. I mean, that is so it's traumatic and, and we try to internalize it, but I am really all for going to a therapist. I have a life coach. Like, I'm just, I'm like, why not? Like try to be your best self and like uncover things. So women are coming in birth trauma. What, what else is that kind of the main thing? Postpartum anxiety and depression are super, super common. So those are big reasons why moms reach out for support. Um, and again, you don't have to fit into one of those diagnoses, but they are the most common ones. Um, And so postpartum depression, you mentioned baby blues and postpartum depression can look a lot like baby blues, but it lingers, right? So baby blues, feeling sad, crying, feeling weepy, overwhelmed, that usually lasts for about two weeks. And the peak is about five days. And that's very normal. There's a huge hormone crash that happens after you have a baby. But if you feel sad and you can't seem to shake the heaviness, the feelings of exhaustion, And especially if you're starting to have a difficult time taking care of yourself or your baby, and it's going past that two week mark, that's postpartum depression. And that's when you should reach out for support. Today's episode was brought to you by Dreamland Baby. I want to introduce you to a product that hundreds of thousands of parents use to help their baby sleep. The Dreamland Baby Weighted Sleep Sack. Hi, I'm Tara Williams, host of the Mom Manual and founder of Dreamland Baby. When my son Luke was six months old, he was still waking up every hour and a half. I was completely exhausted, frustrated, and at my wit's end. Sound familiar? My solution to create a gently weighted sleep sack that babies can safely wear to help them feel calm, fall asleep faster, and stay asleep longer. The award-winning doctor-approved Dream Weighted Sleep Sack and Swaddle features our proprietary CoverCom technology, evenly distributed weight from your baby's shoulders to toes to help naturally reduce stress and allow your little one to feel relaxed and sleep soundly. If you're struggling to get your baby to sleep for longer stretches and go down easier, you're not alone. This product was a game changer for my son and can be for your family too. And right now we've got a special discount exclusive to mom manual listeners. Use code MOMMANUAL15 at checkout to get 15% off site-wide. Isn't it time for you to invest in rest? And Molly, you're going to talk to us today about finding confidence in the early weeks and months. 
So we need all the confidence we can get. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this is the thing that I, I, I see so much outside of really those, those really big mental health symptoms is this lack of confidence. And it's mm-hmm. because women who are coming into motherhood at this time in life where they've always been able to do hard things, right? They're used to being productive, checking off their to-do list, taking on new products, all those things. And they're a beginner at something again. It's all new starting from zero, right? Even if you're a second time mom, a third time mom, every new baby makes you new again. And you kind of start to doubt the decisions you're making and like that feeling of like, am I messing up my kid? Am I doing something wrong? There's so, so many decisions to make. And also so many hot takes and opinions on Instagram or from your great aunt or the stranger at Target or like all this pressure and noise about what we should do. And so when looking at building confidence in postpartum early parenting, I really encourage women to notice when should is popping up. You Mm. should sleep train your baby. You should breastfeed. You should stay home or return to work, or you should spend X amount of time doing this and cooking and cleaning and all all the things, right? Should. Mm. (laughs) Like, have you ever thought or said the word should so much in your life? (laughs) I need to think back to that time. Yeah, it was, it's definitely, I think it's like the overbearing mom and like mother-in-law and, you know, like even though you said like the person at the grocery store, that's like, you should have a hat on your baby. Like you should not hold your baby like that. Yeah. A lot of shoulds for sure. Yeah. Just like a lot of input, but here's, here's the good thing is that when those shoulds pop up, it's a good signal for you to be able to check in with yourself and see where it's coming from. Like Mm. whose voice is that? What does it feel like for you to hear that? And the goal there is to really distinguish what's coming from outside of you, that input, what Mm -hmm. voices are trying to influence you and separate that out from your voice and what you really want for your motherhood, for your family, just cutting through all the noise and finding what you want your life to look like as a mother. Yeah. I would think sometimes as a new mom, like whenever I have those moments where I think, oh, I'm going to mess my baby up or that women were doing this for years and hundreds of years, right. In the cave years, in the, like crossing the plains years, like in the forties, like forever in a day, women have been raising children successfully. I mean, because I would think not, is my child going to be, you know, go to Harvard. I was more thinking like, are they going to stay alive? (laughs) Right. Like just basics at first, I'm not feeding them enough. Are they sleeping? Are they you know, doing all. And one of my daughters had jaundice and it was just like, Oh my gosh, what do we do? You know, is she going to die? Right. And I just always kind of felt like that as a new mom where it was just, or I think I also felt too, I was very nervous and I'm not sure why about my kids having autism. I felt like it was just, it was talked about all the time. And I felt like I was constantly with all four of them, like looking for the early signals, like all the time. I'm not really even sure why, because I don't, no one in my direct family has that, but it just felt like ever present where it was just being talked about on like on social media all the time. And, and that was really one of those things where, I mean, honestly, I'll tell you why, because I had, this is sounds so silly, but I had watched the real housewives of New Jersey. If anybody remembers and Oh, what was her name? She was like so sweet and nice. And her son was on the show and he was really cute and he was talking. And then all of a sudden he lost all his speech. 
And he was later diagnosed with autism. And I was like, it was just so tragic because you watched it in real time, like him on the show being like, mommy, I love you, you know, and then his speech like regressed and, you know, he had a diagnosis. And so I kept thinking like, oh, even if they, you know, talk then, right. Like just that. And same thing almost like with SIDS. Like I felt like for the first four months, I was like, oh my gosh, they could die at any moment until we get over that four month mark. And then we're in the clear, then we're safe. You know, again, I wouldn't have said I had depression, but and it, this wasn't ever present, but it was always just kind of like lingering in the back of my mind, just wanting them to be safe and just wanting to get over these couple, like four months, you know, four months, like, okay, risk of, of SIDS goes down to about zero, you know, past 18 or 20 months, like risk of having autism is like about zero. Cause you've seen it now. So for me, it was like really those two big things. Is there stuff that people like that are just constantly thinking about or, you know, anything like that? Oh, totally. I think you're describing a really universal experience of like you are caring for this very vulnerable right. human person. Yeah. Right. And so looking for like these kind of like safety mile markers of like yeah. when when we get here, like I can let my guard down a little. And yes. we know that the brain changes in pregnancy and postpartum, your brain changes and that protective piece is just lit up. Mm. Like And that's where a lot of anxiety comes from postpartum. And some of the things you're describing is that our brains are just on overdrive, like watching Mm -hmm. for threats and protecting this really vulnerable baby. So -hmm. it's a very, very common, common experience. And it's also where some intrusive thoughts can come in, right? Like, what if I drop my baby? And then you're like, why did I think that? Yes. This is kind of getting more airtime, I guess, of when people are sharing about intrusive thoughts. And it's because that protective part of your brain is so, so active. You're just on high alert watching for any kind of threat. So definitely. That's very- I definitely thought that all the time. <laughs> like, And I would also imagine I, I had my three children in the first house I lived in was a one story, but my fourth child, we lived in a two-story home. And every time I walked down the stairs, I like imagined myself tripping when he was itty bitty tiny. And I'm like, I would just like crush him and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain is just on overdrive. Overdrive. Yeah. Yeah. So then what are some like techniques that you're using to get that confidence and kind of get over this? Yeah. So with intrusive thoughts, my favorite strategy or any really worry thoughts, um, it doesn't have to be early on. It doesn't have to be scary thoughts, but any thoughts that are kind of unwanted and coming in. I really like this method of just thanking your brain for mm-hmm. reminding you that this is important mm-hmm. to you, right? So these thoughts can go after the things you love, like obviously your baby. You're like, you're not wanting something bad to happen to your baby. So your brain is telling you, it's doing its job, telling you, watch out, don't drop this baby. Okay, watch out for that corner. Like all these things that you're worried about is your brain reminding you doing its job, reminding you to take care of this thing that you love. Yeah. And so the method I really like is like, okay, thank you. Like that could happen. Thank you for reminding me move on yeah. and not engaging with going down the path of feeding those worries. Yeah. Okay. I, that, that, I love that. Like, thank your brain for worrying and even caring. I mean, I know one thing that I feel like always is a go-to is just like journaling, like a gratitude journal, right? So that kind of reminded me of that, like, thank you brain for reminding me that, but are there other just like simple things people can do? Yeah, totally. When, when I'm thinking about confidence, the thing it comes back to, you know, with all the noise that we get 
is really connecting with your values. So we all have values that are important to us, the values we want to live by. We walk around with those in our heads, but actually taking the time to define what they are can be really helpful with this. So on your own or with your partner, sitting down and having to look at, okay, what is most important to us as a family? What are our top three or five values as a family? And then using those as a lens for making decisions that actually fit for your family and allow you to live and parent in a value aligned way. Yeah. So maybe this looks like saying, Hey, connection is really important in this family. And I noticed we're all more connected when we just spend quality time together. So we're keeping one evening a week set aside just to have family time to prioritize connection. We say no to everything that tries to get in the way of that, or maybe faith is important to your family. So you commit to being part of a faith community, or maybe leisure is important to you. So you don't schedule weekend craziness, you know, whatever, prioritizing your values and Mm -hmm. letting them guide you in your decision-making. Is that something that if I said, Hey, Molly, I want to have an appointment. Like, is that something you and I would work on together? I almost always do values work with my clients. Is that kind of like an opener? It's a good place to start. It really is because everyone has values and it doesn't feel good when you're living out of sync with them, but sometimes we don't even know exactly what's not fitting. Right. So having an intentional time to like focus on, okay, what is important to me and values shift too, right? So maybe the things that were important to you before you had kids aren't as important. And these other things are more important to you as a parent or as a family. Right. It's and a great exercise. That, I think like, what are my values? Like, I know what they are, but I can't put a word to them. And when you were saying, you know, connection, faith, leisure, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those, yes. Like those are, those are all part of my values, but how do you like, is it just talking through and like, or like taking a minute to really think about it? Do you, do you give all a right, yeah, I'm going to walk you through the first So what I'll do with clients for this exercise sometimes is I have a sheet and it has just a huge list of values, just all kinds of stuff. And then I'll ask them to pick 10. Yes. And they'll pick 10 and then I'll ask them to pick five and just reminding them like all these things are important and they might all be important to you, but picking the top, top ones. And I, I have them do 10 and then five intentionally because I want them to like really think about like weeding out the ones that might not fit for now. Okay. So the top, I have them pick the top five and then we kind of go through what that means to them, how that shows up in their lives, how they'd like to have more of that in their lives. And then that really sets the stage for looking at when they come in with an issue that's really bothering them. Okay. The first thing we're going to do is like, is this values aligned? Are we out of sync here with your values? Is that the issue? Like, how can we get back on track? I love that. Yeah. I'm like, I need that sheet. I need to know what the, what the 20 are that people are. (laughs) Okay. So the next thing you had on here is tuning into your feelings to find calm. And you, I must say, if anyone, we put these on YouTube. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, Molly is so calm and cool and collected. You have such like a, just like a calming presence. Like I, I normally talk super fast in these and I just like feel calm being around you. So you're exuding what you're teaching, but how do we turn into our feelings to turn, to find the calm? So calm is interesting because it's an emotion, right? It's like an experience. 
that you can feel calm, but it's also a state we can really seek out and find even when we're experiencing other emotions in order to be present. So tuning into your feelings can be really helpful to find calm. Feelings are just information. They're feedback to us about what's going on. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, sad, angry, nervous, like any of these uncomfortable feelings, they're messengers to you about what's going on around us and you know what you might need in that moment. Hmm. So taking those, tuning into your emotions and allowing that to help you find calm might look like this, like identifying the emotion that you're feeling. Okay. I'm feeling super overwhelmed. I'm anxious because the baby's crying. It's putting me on edge. I'm worried. I'm feeling kind of helpless and stressed. So naming it and then validating the reason that you might be feeling that way and just feeling it like it's okay for me to feel like this. I'm feeling stressed because this is stressful. I care about my baby. I don't want them to be sad or in pain. Right. Like it makes sense that I feel this way. Right. And then recentering and grounding. So, you know, the really first one that comes to mind is taking a big deep breath, but you can also do this by like noticing a small detail, like the way the light's coming through the window or the sounds that you hear in the room. Uh, going outside is always a great reset, getting a change of scenery, doing something that's going to like stop the flood of emotion and just allow you to be here now. So yeah. really taking the time to calm your body and then problem solving if you need to. Yeah. It's so interesting because one thing that I talk about with my team a lot is and this is on like a business side, but it's trying to get into a state of flow. So on Wednesdays, we have no meetings. And the idea is that, you know, a lot of people on my team have creative elements to their work or just like analyzing data sheets. But when you are doing that and then somebody is sending you a Slack or you're getting an email or a call or, you know, then you have like a call in the middle of it, it's, it's getting out of this flow. And when I can get into like this workflow, it's like the day goes by so easy at the end of it, I feel super accomplished and I just, it doesn't feel hard, but the days where I just have like calls and then like, I'm trying to be in the flow. And then I have like another, like where it's choppy, that to me feels like I feel exhausted at the end of the day. So I imagine with this emotion, like if you're always feeling it, you really want to like almost like break outside it in a way. Is this making, I'm trying to like make this analogy because I'm like, I've been in a like intense emotion. It's a positive one. But now I imagine like if I was in that negative one, like I would want to break something up with it. So I love that idea about like just looking at the light on the window or just like almost like snapping yourself out of it in a way. Yeah. You know, all this, when you're really in it, like really in it is so much easier said than executed. So, you know, when you get pushed back and it's like, well, yeah, I could look at that, but then I look away and I go down to this space again. Like, how do you, I mean, what do you say to, to those, your uh, patients? Yeah. So it takes practice. It's a skill, right? And so if there's resistance, yeah. I encourage them to keep practicing and I tell them there will be resistance because we are so used to go, 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 go and problem solving and fixing it, especially as women and moms. It's like, if there's something wrong, it's because I'm doing something wrong and I need to fix it. It's not always the case. Sometimes things are just hard. Right. right? And so I tell them there's going to be resistance. Let's road test this, take it out, 
know that there's going to be speed bumps. Keep going anyway. Keep trying. Let's work on it together in session. If you're needing more support, we practice in session. We do grounding. We do mindfulness. Mm. And the more you can do it when you're calm, the more you can do it when you're not calm, right? And then you talked about earlier, like when you go to yoga, you get your good ideas, right? Ah. (laughs) So knowing that you are so much more effective as a person, as a parent, as a partner, when your nervous system is calm. And so that's one thing I get a lot is like, well, I don't have time to reset. It's like, it doesn't have to be a yoga class, right? It can be stepping outside, but you're going to come back and be such a better version of yourself and so much more able to be present if you just take that small reset. When I first started doing yoga, I will say, so I played soccer in college and I've been active in like sports my whole life and just I love running and being on the treadmill. And I think I gravitated more toward the activities that were trying to think like the loud music and, you know, it's like almost like a stressful environment. And so the first time I tried yoga, I hated it. I was like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. And I like almost couldn't stop thinking about like 10 more minutes, five more minutes, three more minutes. Like it was torturous. And so that was when I, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. And then I didn't do it for a few years. And then it was with having this business and it being really stressful and knowing there's, you know, 15, 20 people whose family relies on this working and being successful. And, you know, and it's just the weight of it felt so heavy. And so I started going to yoga. And at first I would think about stuff. Like I would think, okay, I've like, I forgot to sign my daughter up for this class or, and then I need to, you know, just like, oh, I forgot to answer that email. And I'd almost wish I had like a pad of paper at first where I could just like write stuff down. I started going to a new yoga studio when I moved down here and they don't allow you to take your phone in. And so I feel like that was almost an unlock for me. They also dim the lights. So I just felt like it was such a like overall like body state that I was in that I actually, I don't even think about work anymore. I don't think about anything. My mind is almost like blank. <laughs> like, I don't know how to it's say great. Yeah. It, yeah. But I feel so like rested and rejuvenated. And it's also a good workout because I do a lot of times yoga sculpt. So there is an element where you're like lifting weights, but I'm so focused on like holding the pose that I literally think about nothing. And I feel like I've almost not made it to like my state of enlightenment, but I practiced for so long that now I'm at this state where like, I can get in there and like really like fall into the practice, if you will. So I completely understand this mindfulness. I still haven't got to the point where I do, where you're just sitting and thinking, right? Like at home, like, what are you even supposed to think about when people say that? Right. (laughs) Yeah. It helps to think of it as a skill that you build for sure. Just like yoga. And the whole point is non-attachment like allowing thoughts to come and go. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and like we talked about with emotions, like letting it come and letting it pass. And so it's, yeah, letting go of that need to fix that need to like go further with that thought, engage more with that thought, uh, keep planning. That's a big one planning. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, Definitely that mind body connection is so powerful and yoga is a great way to do that. And just even a walk is a really great way to do that. And we talked about the bilateral simulation with EMDR. Yeah, walking yeah. is also great for that. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And just, I mean, we're in Southern California. You can be outside year round. Like there's no reason you can't get that sunshine. Yeah, um, and Molly, the last thing that we're going to talk about is connecting with yourself and your partner and your baby the rituals and routines that, that are doable, even in the chaos of postpartum and early parenting. So yeah. tell us about those routines. I love that also connecting with your partner. Cause I feel like they are just like the forgotten person in all this. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Which, and even sometimes I feel like we talk about partners like only as a support person when really they're having their own postpartum experience as well. So yeah. So early on, a lot of times partners just kind of feel like a roommate or someone that you're hoping will step up and take on night wakings or, you know, but you used to laugh together, used to communicate, be on the same page and date nights are awesome. But I honestly, my youngest is 15 months now and I haven't had a date night in in 15 months. Like it's just not practical for my family. And that's the case sometimes for, you know, so many different reasons. So I like to decouple connection with your partner from date nights. It doesn't have to be that right. It could be much, much smaller and still build a ritual of connection. One of my favorite things is what um, Dr. John Gottman calls the six second kiss. And it's just literally exactly what it sounds like. It's just kissing your partner for six seconds and it's long enough to take that moment of connection and be intentional about it. And it stops that busyness in your brain. Just focus on your partner. It's actually so long. Like the first time you do it, you're like, I'm like six seconds. That does seem like a really long time. (laughs) It really is, but it's so incredibly simple, but it's enough to reduce the stress hormones and build connection. So it's, really simple and powerful. Well, and one thing that I do with my husband is sometimes I'm like, I just need a hug. And it sounds so simple, but you know, with, with our product, which we have like this weighted sleep sack that is simulating a hug. Right. And it's so calming and relaxing for infants. If you've used an adult weighted blanket, like, you know, that second it comes on and we've partnered with medical community and done a bunch of research and it all comes back to the hug right? Because when you get hugged, it's releasing serotonin, it's releasing oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this feeling of joy and happiness. And it's, it's so funny because it's a a good, like, I'm not a very touchy feely person. So it's a goofy thing to do. And I think it's, it has to be longer than just like a quick hug. So maybe six seconds, but I think for me, it's like one of those grounding things. And then it's also just like a connection moment. And it's so simple to do, like, give me a hug. Can we have a hug, you know? And so you need a, a sick, that why is that hard to say? Six second kiss. Or, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. What else? What else are just like simple ways to connect? Yeah, another one I love is warm greetings and goodbyes. Hmm. So, like thinking about these, the scenario where you walk in the door and nobody greets you. It's just like, oh, you're home. Versus yeah. thinking about a scenario when you walk in the door and your partner comes and hugs you, and it's like, there's you like I've been waiting for you or your kids run to you or your dog or whatever it is like that feeling is really warm and builds a lot of connection and it's such a simple ritual because we have are always coming and going right and so warm greetings and goodbyes are a great way to just build connection and and show affection for family members that one I love so much and I have four children and my youngest is five and he has been doing this since he was probably two every, I've always been working and he will come in my office every day and he'll run up to me and he'll go, mommy, I love you. And he'll give me a big hug. 
And my other three kids say, oh, you, you like Luke the most. You always go toward him first. And I'm like, I love you all the same, but I say hello to you guys. And you don't even say hi back. And he runs into my arms and says, mommy, I love you. And gives me a big hug. Like who would I want to greet? And my kid, my older three kids started coming up to me every time they see me and going, mommy, I love you. It almost a mocking, right? And, they <laughs> and I know what they're doing, but I'm still like, it just makes me so happy. Like just like overwhelmed with joy. So that one I can 100% get behind. I love that. Yeah. It's such a good feeling and it's, it's so accessible, right? Like, yeah. And it feels good for both you as the greeter and the person who's being greeted. Like it, it really builds connection on both ends. Yes. No, 100%. I feel like we could talk all day about all these tips and these techniques and, Again, you are just so like calming, Molly, and such a light. Um, I have a lot of people on this podcast. And when I'm telling you normally, I'm like, oh, no, no, and just like being crazy. Like, I just feel so calm even talking with you. I love it. So I hope everyone listening is feeling that same feeling. Molly, people who want to follow you or work with you, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Yes. You can find me on my website, poppy-therapy.com. I'm also on Instagram at poppy.therapy. And then other fun things, I have a podcast called Our First Year, where I interview new moms about their first year of motherhood. And that is so fun. And when I was a new mom, I was just really craving like how is everyone doing this? Like, how are you feeding your baby? How is your baby sleeping? Like, are you going back to work? What? And so that podcast is like my answer to that, what I needed when I was in that stage. I love that. It's, it's very fun. And then I also have a weekly email newsletter called this made me think of you that you can sign up for on my website, where I just round up on Fridays, all the things that I saw, heard and read that made me think of you, the mom who is in it right now. So those are the ways to connect with me. I love it. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks, Tara.